So we're really fortunate today to have a fantastic panel. Um, we have Mete Koban, who's the founder of an organization called My Life, My Say. It's a youth engagement organization, and I'm looking forward myself to learning more about his organization and what um, young people are thinking about the state of democracy today and the issues that they're facing. Uh, also, Sandra Gozi, who is a, a history-making um, MEP uh, from the European Parliament. He represents France, even though he's Italian-born, and he is truly a, a, a true European. And we're looking forward to hearing from him about the kinds of reforms and citizens' engagement opportunities that um, that are taking place across the across Europe and how the European Union is thinking about this. Also, Eli Pariser, who um, he is sort of one of the grandfathers, I think, of uh, the idea of the fragmentation of, of um, social media contributing to a social fragmentation. He was the one who coined the term filter bubbles, and he is the founder of Upworthy and an organization called Civic Signals. But first, we're going to start with Helle Thorning-Schmidt, who I've had the honor and privilege of working with as co-chair of the Renewing, Renewing Democracy Project. Um, she is the former Prime Minister of Denmark and uh, and the CEO of Save the Children, and has uh, more accomplishments uh, in her career than I than I can uh, share with you now. Um, but she's also uh, the co-chair of the Facebook Oversight Committee, which will be an interesting conversation uh, today. Hopefully, part of our conversation as uh, a move in the direction of trying to solve some of the problems that we've been hearing about in the pitches. So, um, without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to Helle. And uh, Helle, what I'd like to ask you, what I'd like you to open with, is just talking a little bit about the need for democratic reform and why you you felt you are so involved in this conversation. How do you see it uh, evolving and what are the reforms that are needed? So welcome. Well, thanks first to all of you. It's great to be here today and I really already enjoyed the, what, I've, what I've heard. And this is one of the conferences where you're more interested in hearing what everyone else has to say rather than listening to yourself. But I'll be brief uh, about the project that we have here and why we have started this conversation about renewing democracy. And basically it, it all started with uh, that it's very clear that we are seeing an increasing increasing trouble for democracy. We are seeing that democracy is not rated the way it was before. Uh, we have also done a number of surveys showing that people don't rate democracy as, as much as they did just five or ten years ago. And our mission was basically to try to ask ourselves not only why has this happened, of course, we're interested in that as well, but also try to understand how can we re-legitimize um, democracy? What can be done to do that? And we already heard a few of the, the, the ideas that we came up with. But first of all, we had to understand what's challenging democracy. And it's a mixture of things. It is social cohesion, uh, which is... Uh, which has been broken. Uh, there are so many bonds between us as people in society that has been broken, which means that it's much harder to have democracy. Uh, that also uh, means that democracies are not delivering solutions that we would expect them to do. I'll come back to that in a min minute. It's also the new digital space, and we heard uh, input on that already. That has a real, is a real problem uh, that the digital space has many good sides to it, but there's also uh, a, a real issue around it 
parting us and creating walls between us rather than bridges, which is so important in democracy. And then our, our institutions, which have simply been too slow to absorb the new ways of wanting to participate that comes from people and have been very slow in actually translating the old way of vote. If I vote, I get uh, I get this and that from uh, decision makers. I get specific things that I voted for. And that has uh, year by year turned down that democracy is not only delivering a vote every four, fourth or fifth year is also to engage. But the, all this combined that we have a consumer democracy, uh, we have a democracies that are not delivering uh, the results that we want. Uh, I'll come back to that. And also uh, that people are expecting of their democracies that they ask that they uh, respond very quickly, uh, very measured here and now to the issues that they are facing. Uh, so let's come, let me come back to the to the bit what I see as the big issues. Democracies are not delivering on the things that people care about, and that comes both from the right and from uh, the left, from older people, from younger people. They're seeing that democracies are not delivering. What are they not delivering on? Well, they're not delivering right now on uh, climate change, uh, on hunger, uh, the sustainable development goals, on war uh, and creating more peace. Uh, they're not delivering on a global pan pandemic, as we are seeing. Uh, they're not delivering on e economic crisis. And many people will not will say that democracies are not deliver delivering on uh, equity and personal security in all its aspects. So this, I think, is the core of the problem with democracy. Uh, but then, of course, there is the way democracy functions, and that's what we have been really focused on, that democracies are not functioning in a way, so they absorb the new ways that people want to engage. We are seeing people in rallies, in marches and demonstrations. They are forming big groups uh, on social media uh, with like-minded people, thereby for, uh, forming uh, less bridges, more wars, as I was saying. Uh, and that, and all this means uh, that democracy is failing day by day. Our conclusion, and of course I have five minutes, so I have to go through the whole report. Our conclusion is that we have to create a completely new way of civic engagement, where we find new ways of reinvigorating democracy by bringing young people uh, together in, in purposeful uh, functions. We have many ideas for that. By creating uh, new ways of participating uh, this is something that has been tested in many, in various countries, some with absolutely fabulous success, where um, civic uh, organization and civic debates and civic de decision makings has been the precursor for, for bigger decisions in, in government. And thus changing our perception of democracy as something where we are consumers voting uh, every fourth or fifth years to become engaged citizens. And that's why we are talking about uh, creating a citizen's democracy. We have many more ideas in the report. I would urge everyone to read it, but this is just a little taste of, of the, the way we are thinking and also the next steps that could be taken uh, to be changing our democracies in order for our democracies to survive. All right. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you. Um, I just want to ask you one more question before we go to, to the rest of the panel, which I'm very excited to, to do and hear from them. Um, 
why do we think that why do we think that more participation is the answer particularly you know given how challenging it's going to be in a really diverse increasingly diverse um uh society where formerly marginalized voices are now in the process it's of course going to make us you know a richer i think more robust dialogue but also a more challenging one so why is more participation the answer at this point well, it's not the only answer. Uh, I, I have kept saying also in our dialogue around this uh, through through the time we've been working on this, that I actually think that dem democracies can only survive if they start taking better decisions. Democracies are what they do, because if democracies can't solve really big questions, why would people support them? So that's that's one thing that's. Uh, Participation is not the only thing, but what we have found out is for, in order for people to leave this notion that you can have a voice only on social media and that's democracy, you can rally, you can do marches, you can uh, do all kinds of things. We have to connect these new ways of engaging and in many ways giving agency to to people, we have to connect those ways into our institutions. And what we have seen now is actually institutions going in a complete parallel to to the ways of of engaging that many many people are uh, are involved in. Uh, so this is why I, I really firmly believe if institutions don't change and if we don't find new ways of participating, it will be very hard for democracies to survive. So that is why. It is so important that we find new ways and all ideas are welcome. We have a list of, of proposals, but those will not be the only ones. So every day we actually have to renew democracy. And in many ways, that that is what we have missed doing. We haven't renewed democracy. There was a time where in Europe, for example, we build up the welfare state. Every year, everyone had more access to more welfare. And everyone thought, hey, that's democracy, that we get more access to, to better health, to better education. Uh, education, all those things. But that is not democracy. Democracy is actually to participate, to listen to other people, to listen, that the majority listens to, to the minority, that we have a conversation. And the headline for everything that we have been working on is to how to restart this conversation. And that's a real conversation where we don't just meet in, in the echo chambers that social media creates for us, but actually meets and discuss with each other and create new bridges. And the only way we can do that is new civic engagement. Right. Well, thank you so much, Haile. Um, So I'm going to open it up to the rest of the panel. I'm going to start with Sandro, but I just wanted to um, remind everybody, if you want to submit questions, which we hope we'll have time to take at the end, um, you have to go to slido.com, hashtag recovery summit and submit your questions there. All right. So Sandro, welcome. And uh, thank you for being with us today. We have seen, as Ateli was talking about, um, you know, this uh, increasing participatory impulse is being harnessed by policymakers across the EU. We saw the citizens assemblies used in France and used in Ireland to look at very important issues of our time. We've seen referendum increase and so on. Can you talk, I guess, a little bit about the thinking in Europe around the use of these tools and why this seems like, you know, the right time to be engaging in this way? Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, first of all, for giving me this opportunity. And I would say that I, I share 
most of what uh, Elle just said, and uh, some of the answers to your question has, has, have already been given. But uh, basically, for me, uh, the issue of uh, participation, of new citizen participation, uh, is linked to two, uh, uh, to two, to two questions. The, the first question, the question of method, of a new democratic method. The second question is the question of playing field, a new policy and political playing field. And uh, I mean, uh, in the four minutes and a half which I'm left, I will try to give you the answer about this two method. It is clear that uh, the time where democracy was, uh, uh, democratic participation was, I go to the elections, I vote, I make my choice, and I wait for the end of the term to judge uh, what the government or the parliament which I have elected uh, will do is over. Uh, it, I don't say that the moment of election is not an important moment. It is absolutely important and we have uh, to do much more to increase uh, participation to the elections. We know that uh, except the last European elections in all our countries, the participation, the turnout to the polls is, de is, uh, is decreasing, whereas we should increase it. But this uh, is not enough. Uh, citizens now expect to participate, directly participate, or in, also during the term, uh, between one election and the other, uh, and the next elections. And this is why in Europe we have seen uh, blo blossoming a new form of citizens consultation, participation, organized debate, which in my view are, are, are have been always very positive. I mean, the experience uh, that we've seen with citizens assemblies in Ireland to prepare uh, difficult debates, such as the debate on the referendum on uh, gay marriage, on the abortion, they, uh, uh, I mean, they have been, they proved to be very helpful, not only because there were citizens participating and debating, but because those debates were public and everybody could recognize himself in this citizens debate from the, from the, from the bottom, a, a sort of grassroots debate. We have another, another experience which in its form, in the form of consultation, as a, as a new democratic participation experience is very positive. It's the one uh, that we have used in France on, for this uh, citizen convention on climate change. Uh, now the issue is uh, how will be the answer of the French authorities because the citizens have been working, meeting, discussing for six months, have made very clear requests. It is clear that now politics must say we agree on this, we don't agree with that. They always have to motivate the reason why they want to give a follow-up or they can't or they don't want to give a follow-up to the citizens' request. Transparency, full transparency in the motivation. It is essential for the, for the, for the exercise. And then they have to uh, say, well, this request requires a constitutional modification, this request requires new legislation, this request requires new political actions. What is important, if you want really to nurture democracy through this form of participation, is that uh, we always give a follow-up and the dialogue continue during the follow-up. This is absolutely essential. The, last, the other issue is the issue of playing field. Why today democracy is in crisis? Democracies and politics are in crisis because so far they mostly remain prisoner of the national borders. They 
think that they can provide concrete answers to citizens on issues which are transnational issues only by playing in the national level playing field. Whereas, whereas when you're confronted with climate change, with terrorism, with the, with the challenges of uh, digital and uh, global digital issues, global financial issues, it is clear that we have to build up a new playing field. We have to position ourselves into a new playing field, which is the playing field of transnational politics and transnational democracy. That means uh, from the European perspective, to work much more at European level, but from a global perspective, to bet much more on new form of global governance, a new form of multilateral governance, because that's the place, that's the new playing field, and that's the, the way of giving, providing concrete answers, which is the only way of regenerate citizens' confidence in democracy. And this is why, it will be my last word, this debate that we are promoting, we want to launch a conference of the future of uh, Europe. We want to promote a conference with new way of citizen participation, both physical and digital. And this is why this exercise is, is so important because it provides a possible new answer to the request for new democratic method, but also to the need for a new playing field, which is in my case, in our case, European playing field. All right. Thank you so much, Sandro. Yeah, I, I think that um, there is this, as you were uh, talking about the, the, you know, the consumer process and as Heli um, uh, alluded to, the idea that you go and you vote every few years, this is just not enough to, you know, to, to satiate the appetite for citizens um, who believe they have more choice and more voice in every aspect of their lives. They want to see it from their government too. And so there's the end. And so it's not just, I think, an obligation of government. It's also an opportunity. And so the governments that actually seize that opportunity are going to re-legitimize themselves, but also make better informed decisions. So I think it's a very exciting uh, evolution, but not without its challenges. And so with that, I come to Eli. <laughs> Eli gets to talk about the challenges. So Eli, sorry to call you a grandfather. Um, I think I'm aging him before his time. But Eli really was like, I think it was almost 10 years ago, he coined the term filter bubbles and saw something emerging in our information ecosystem that a lot of people hadn't seen yet. And actually it was years before they actually saw it. And Eli stay, stayed on um, trying to understand that space and trying to improve it ever since. So, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit uh, about, you know, as we talk about the citizens participation and, you know, getting people involved in the process, you know, in a way we have to, I think it's really important that if we're, we're going to engage people that way, that they do have access to really good, you know, information. And you've talked a lot about what, what I guess the, the, um, the accountability of the platforms are and maybe what the limitations of what the platforms can do because the ecosystem goes far beyond just Facebook and Google, obviously. Um, so talk a little bit about, I guess, as you hear about this, you know, new engagement, citizens democracy, what are the things that concern you and how do we overcome some of the, um, the I guess, the impediments to ensuring that we have people who are well-informed um, in order to be deeply engaged and be able to make good decisions? Well, um, that's a that's a lot, but I'll I'll try to take it on. Um, and thanks for the report. I, I think the report is so insightful and, and important. Um, I, I think it's clear at this point that uh, the public sphere that we have is failing us, and it's failing us because it's pulling us apart. It's failing us because it's stopping us from being able to have the kinds of conversations we need to be able to have in order to solve a problem like climate change. 
um, and it's really kind of tearing at our social fabric. And um, to me, you know, a lot of what I've been working on at Civic Signals has been looking at um, why is that happening and what are the templates that we have for thinking about solutions. And um, one of the metaphors that I've gotten increasingly focused on is the notion that um, it's useful to think about online space like cities. And the reason is that cities uh, over the millennia have encountered a lot of the same challenges that digital platforms are now encountering. How do you coordinate behavior among strangers? How do you ensure uh, that rapid growth doesn't overwhelm existing communities? Um, there are so many pieces of the urban experience that really platforms in some ways are recapitulating. What's new, what's transformative um, isn't just the, the scale, but it's that I think we're trying to do all of this in a container um, which is really not suited to housing all of our public discourse. And that's uh, we're trying to move our, our global public conversation into private companies that are, at the end of the day, accountable to shareholders for, for earn, earnings growth. And um, that's not to say that that isn't a really powerful and important part of the ecosystem that we need to be thinking about if we're thinking about how we renew democracy. Absolutely. But I, I would submit to you that we, there's no example of a society that has managed to build uh, successfully a, a thriving community using only private infrastructure. And the reason for that is that there are just some important tasks which are always going to be non-market tasks. Uh, we saw this with some of the recent revelations about Facebook just in the last couple of days, where uh, one of the data scientists who was in charge of essentially adjudicating um, which countries' bot networks got taken down or which ones didn't, um, you know, this was one person who, who was told literally by her supervisor, you're the dictator of most of the non-America's world when it comes to what kind of speech happens and what kind of speech doesn't happen. Um, and I say that, again, not even as a ding on Facebook, as much as to say that this is what we are encountering when we try to put a whole bunch of public functions into a private company. Um, it, it ends up on a list of prioritization for resources, and um, there's no accountability for that. And so um, if we use this urban metaphor, I think we really need to start thinking about how do we rebuild some of the public infrastructure that can serve a bunch of these non-market functions um, in digital space in, toward different ends and with different goals in mind. And um, those two things can be complementary, just like communities have bookstores and they have libraries. And both of those things have, you know, serve people with books, but they have very different revenue models and missions. Um, you know, we need uh, uh, bookstores for the library, for the internet, but also libraries for the internet. And that's a place where there's been, uh, I think, not enough sort of imaginative attention to what could be done here. Um, I think that also actually, you know, we, ha we have a template for this at scale. Um, it's the relationship between Google and Wikipedia, which, uh, you know, here we have a private company essentially saying this complicated, important task of figuring out what the consensus truth is, that's actually better housed inside of a different kind of institution, a kind of institution that's governed differently and toward different ends. I, I think we need more, more entities along those lines. And so I guess where I come back to is, yes, we absolutely need a more participatory um, public conversation. 
in order to revitalize uh, democracy. But there's no way that we're going to get to the kind of conversation that we need in order to solve our big problems if we're trying to do it only through the narrow lens of companies that are constructed with a particular revenue focus in mind. And we need to broaden the aperture and think more creatively, as uh, Karen Kornbla and Emily uh, Post were, were, were describing about, um, Emily Bell were describing about journalism. I think we need to think more broadly about how do we build this digital infrastructure that actually supports uh, healthy, healthy relationships and conversations online. I think that I think that you've really nailed it in two dimensions. I mean, one is that um, we do rely, particularly in the United States, too much, I think, on um, the private sector to solve social problems. And one of the reasons why I personally believe that um, the COVID crisis has been managed so poorly is because we don't invest enough in public goods and public health. Obviously, that's been uh, that's not a mystery to anybody. Um, but we rely so much on the private sector and in certain kinds of challenges it's not built for that. Um, and so it's the system stupid. <laughs> so the idea that, that um, you know, that something's gonna happen on Facebook and somehow all the incentives are gonna change and align for what's the public good um, for dialogue and for deliberation and for, uh, for supporting democracy, it's just not going to happen. So I think that's a fantastic point, Eli, and it is something that we um, perhaps, I think, again, going back to to, uh, to Sandro for a bit, the United States is not particularly good at this. And this is where all the innovation is happening. We need partners in thinking about platforms for public good and for public deliberation that have systems in place and a society who's more aligned with the idea of government engaging this way and creating systems that allow for this kind of deliberation. So, um, so. One of the things I've seen come up on the feed a couple of times is climate change. Climate change, obviously, is one of the big challenges that's come up on the on the panel, and I'm getting some questions about it. Meta, I wanted to talk to you because the the you know the youth. Um, I think the amount of engagement on this topic for youth and the amount that uh, you know a youth movement is pushing this into the political dialogue in a new way and with a new pressure, it really is coming from young people. So I wanted to talk a little bit about you know, your, you know, your experience in engaging young people in deliberation, what are, you know, what are you finding are, is, is the sort of attitude and concerns of young people about democracy in general? And I guess how much of their engagement do you feel at this point is um, as a result of a concern for the big issues like climate change? I see. Uh, thank you, Dawn, um, for your kind introduction and also to the Recovery um, Summit for for having me here today. Um, I think this is a it's a very interesting um, question that you asked because you know too often you know there's this big sort of uh, illusion that young people uh, do not care about the issues that affect them or they do not care about politics. And you know, for us, what we see here when we work with young people here in UK, in Europe, and even some of the work that we've done in the US is that. Of course, young people do care about issues. So you mentioned climate change and, you know, partly the reason why, you know, the conversation has shifted in, on climate change over the last, you know, year or two is because you've had, you know, inspirational activists like Greta Thunberg and lots of young activists from across the world. And um, of course, young people do care about whether they have a decent job that pays them basic respect or dignity. Of course, they care about whether have, they have a roof over their shoulders. 
The problem is, is whether they see traditional forms of politics or democracy as a vehicle to address the issues that they care about. And partly the reasons why they don't, and certainly in the case what we see here in the UK, is one is we're not educated about our democratic systems. So, you know, the, the idea of being able to correlate how you make change by process to the issues that you care about, and we're not educated about how to go about doing that. So unless you come from a sort of a, a background which allows you to do that or has given you that information, you have no idea in which you can, that you haven't, you've never been educated in, in, in ways you, which you can make change. Um, the second reason is is representation. I mean, we've got we're very lucky to be joined by Hela here, and you know, there's not a lot of women in politics. You know, when you look at the British Parliament, for example, I think you know it's getting better. Um, only in this recent Parliament, but you know, we're still talking very very small numbers in sort of the the bigger context of our, our population. When you look at the number of people from ethnic minority sort of backgrounds, um, and you know, when you look at class system as well you know it's even sort of lesser representative so you know the issue is is you know when you don't when you look at these institutions you don't see people who look and sound like you so you feel less comfortable and there's automatically a barrier there. and the final reason why i think young people don't see traditional forms of democracy or politics as a vehicle to address them is the lack of trust between you know politicians and these agencies as well and young people um because you know for time and time after again uh, they've been let down um, by politicians who look and sound the same and, you know, who talk a lot uh, in the run-up to elections, but then, you know, sometimes don't are not able to sort of make that change they want to do. And that's slightly related to education as well. And I, and I say that because because we're not educated about how our democracy works is sometimes, I mean, I was in Tunisia and I've done some a lot of work there um, post the sort of uh, Arab Spring uh, revolution. And, you know, the expectation that, you know, young people had in Tunisia was right up there, you know, straight after a revolution. But the reality of what politicians can actually deliver may not have met that. But because there's never been that level of education to actually what um, politicians can ach achieve in power, um, you know, it's just this huge disconnect that takes place. So, I mean, in summary to your question, I think young people do care about issues. I think some of the issues around Brexit, I think Trump in the US, um, I think these are factors where they've politicized young people. And we're certainly seeing it um, in the UK and in Europe. And, and I think there's a growing intergenerational divide, which we certainly need to address very soon. So, um, yeah, that that's the point about education and needing to inform, you know, how the process of how things change. I mean, that was really part, I mean, a big part of the report that we did was about how do you create a society that's capable of deliberation, particularly in a diverse context. I mean, we have to instill an entire new skill set um, around constructive dialogue and learning to disagree well and learning to work together with people with different values than you have um, and still solve problems together. It really is updating our civic architecture and our educational architecture to create a new kind of citizen. Um, so it's actually, it's encouraging to hear that there's actually an appetite for that among, among young people. I wanted to just go back briefly to the question of disinformation or misinformation. I mean, young people more than anybody, I think, get so much of their information online. Are you hearing a concern among young people about the amount of disinformation or whether they have access to quality information? Is there a high level of awareness of, of what this, um, I guess, of the, the problems on our, in our digital ecosystem? Certainly. And, you know, one of the things we are doing for, for my life, and I say actually in the UK, is we've started a new edition called uh, the Quarantine Question Time, which is really about, you know, informing young people 
about the coronavirus pandemic, what it means for our economy, what it means for our jobs, what it means for our climate and, and all the different aspects because there's just so much uncertainty about it. But the key thing here is, is yes, there is concern about the information that is out there on social media. I think a lot of people don't know what to trust or what to believe. And you hear lots of news around, you know, what's, you know, Russia, for example, meddling with the, the US elections, you know, what happened with Brexit here as well. And I think there's a lot of people who are quite skeptical about, skeptical about the sort of information they see online. But I also think that's also true for um, mainstream media as well. Um, you know, a lot of young people are skeptical about the, the news that mainstream media put out because of their political biases as well. So I think there is a, there's a general wider conversation, which will probably take us, you know, hours and days to sort of to unravel about media and social media and sort of the role it has on shaping sort of, uh, you know, public opinion and sort of how, how much young people trust it. But I think, you know, young people probably equally don't trust, you know, the news that comes out of the main news as, in comparison to what's coming out on what they see on social media. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so Hele, can we turn back to you for a minute? Hele is the co-chair of the Facebook Oversight Board, which is a new evolution. And I think one meant to uh, address the fact that Facebook is in a situation where they're damned if they do or they're damned if they don't. No matter what they do, basically, if they take down content or they don't, they're going to be condemned for either decision. And I believe that this was an evolution in their own thinking of how to govern this problem. And they brought in some amazing people like Hele. But there are clearly limitations, um, uh, I think, embedded in the fact that they had to go out and create it in the first place. It might have been a better place for government to be the one to sort of impose a sort of, you know, board like this in a way that uh, would be seen as um, really objective to the situation. I think it's gotten a lot of, of criticism as a result of the fact that Facebook was the one who prompted it. But I wanted to give you an opportunity, Helen, to talk a little bit about, I guess, what's the potential and the limitations of that board in, in, in its work um, and, uh, and how, you know, and, and how, I guess, beyond a, a board like this, do we hold uh, pl- platforms like Facebook accountable for information on critical issues like climate change, to to providing really good information yeah i mean uh, i don't have long but i'll try to to talk a little bit about what it is i mean the oversight board was uh, created by by facebook um in in the spring we are still not up and running but uh, our task is basically uh, to take the decisions that facebook has taken uh, until now about what content stays up on the platforms, uh, Instagram and Facebook, and what content gets removed. And what we are basically there there is to change the way things are now, because right now it is basically up to Facebook itself to take these decisions and ultimately Mark Zuckerberg, who actually takes some of these decisions. Uh, And in the future, there will be more transparency about how these decisions are taken. Uh, We are an oversight board where users can uh, appeal uh, to us if they're unhappy with the decisions Facebook has taken. And Facebook has, has said very clearly that they will, um, they will follow our decisions. And of course, that we are completely independent. Uh, I, it is ne- will never be my job to defend Facebook or talk not about regulation. Uh, but I do think that it is worthwhile trying this initiative because we have to find a way of balancing 
the freedom of speech that social media has given so many people across uh, the world with other human rights. And that is the cross point that Facebook is trying to find every day in their content policies, but they shouldn't do it alone. And now what they're trying to do is socialize that decision. In my ideal world, this should not be done by a private company. This is something that, uh, I mean, I come from, the, from Northern Europe. This is something that I would be hoping that big multilateral organizations like the UN could be doing. Why doesn't the UN have a body that could uh, be the, the last appeal for users using all social media? That would be the ideal. Unfortunately, I don't think that is within uh, a realistic reach right now. So for me, this is the second best that Facebook has finally realized that they shouldn't be both the decision maker on content and also be the, the place, the last uh, place of appeal. Uh, and now they have formed this body which uh, will take binding decisions. We are, um, we are, are independent uh, and uh, we are different from Facebook. And of course, none of us would have signed up for this if we, we haven't been, been given this uh, independence. So hopefully I'm open for questions as well, because this is, of course, extremely controversial. Uh, I have decided that it's better to do something than do nothing. Uh, and that is why I am um, a co-chair of this oversight board. Well, I think you're incredibly courageous to take it on. It's a very, very big task. Um, <laughs> as somebody who's, you know, sitting here, you know, a few, uh, I guess, well, frankly, we're weeks and days away from um, what I think is the biggest election of my lifetime. Although I have to say, I think every election almost feels like that for some reason. But but given, you know, we're in the midst of a COVID crisis, we're, you know, we're, we're facing um, just this, seems like existential threats on so many sides. Um, one of the things I was hoping was that the work of this committee would get underway more quickly before the election. And I'm wondering why is why is the board delayed in getting started? We actually not delayed. Uh, we were always going to uh, to start in the autumn. Um, of course, it's been really difficult when we can't meet and uh, everything has to be done, be done like this. But we always thought that we always knew that it would be very hard to set up a new system. What you have to think of is this is almost like a new court system for Facebook, uh, where we have to get mechanisms for seeing all this content, where we have to get the user appeal system. There are so many mechanical things around what we're doing that we have to get in place. So we are not delayed. Uh, we will start in October. Um, we would have liked to start earlier, but uh, it's very hard to get it in place under these circumstances. What I'm hoping is that we will be up uh, and running uh, for the election, but particularly maybe after the election, where there could be content being put on social media, which is extremely controversial, and perhaps we will be part of those uh, decisions. But of course, it would have been great if we were up and running a year ago, uh, but, uh, but that's not how the world has uh, functioned. Yeah. Um... I, well, first of all, we're, we're, I know we're coming to an end and I know the moderators are going to come in and shut me off at, at any moment. So we've got two minutes left, but um, I, I wanted to thank obviously the panel and the pitches. I, I think that the, the, the crisis and the challenges we have of democracy are obviously way bigger than we can handle in a 35 minute um, panel. But I think that everybody on here is working in different ways to try to improve our democracy and make it better, including, including myself. 
the conversation that we've had today was hopefully to present a set of ideas, not to solve all the problems. And as I said, I'd, I'd urge everybody to go and download the document. It is really put forward there um, as uh, a set of ideas that should be considered um, and a direction for democracy that will, I believe, re-legitimize the system and make it more capable and competent in, in a very diverse um, and increasingly sort of confusing world. I think as Sandro um, indicated, you have to have very high levels of uh, transparency in these processes in order for them to be trusted and in order for them to be capable of holding our decision makers to account. But um, this is the direction forward in in uh, a society that has evolved to a place where it, it wants more voice and choice. And that's not going that's not going away. That's always been the trajectory of democracy. And this is the next evolution of it. And it's one that technology makes possible, which we have to, you know, take the good with the bad, manage the consequences and harness the opportunities. So I want to thank everybody here today, the panelists and all the people who contributed to the pitches. And I look forward to seeing you all again soon um, and yeah. continuing this conversation. Thank you so much for being with us, everybody.